Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a weekly news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today, we're getting into some German Easter traditions, as well as talking about travel, possible disruption and the outlook on strikes. We'll discuss how Berlin could be getting its first conservative mayor in 20 years. And we'll talk about a former Syrian refugee who's just been elected as a mayor in Baden-Württemberg. The German cabinet has approved a reform of immigration laws. We'll focus today on the planned future point system. Plus, we'll hear from a Green member of the Bundestag and a migration expert from the German Confederation for Skilled Crafts to get their take. We'll finish off with a chat about some events happening across Germany in April. I'm Rachel Oxen and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Aaron Burnett and Imogen Goodman. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. How are you? Anything you need to get off your chest or something you're happy about this week, guys? Well, I've got pretty big news, actually. Um, I've finally got the ball rolling on my citizenship application. So earlier this week, I went to the district of treptow Köpenick in Berlin and applied to take my Einbürgerungs test, so my citizenship test, uh, in May. This is the 33 question one, right? It is, yeah, 33 questions. I actually helped an ex-boyfriend with it, so I'm pretty prepared and hoping that I should do quite well, but we'll see. The pressure gets to me when I actually turn up on the day. This is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, Next, I'll need to take my language test and then try and get the big pile of paperwork together. But it's just really amazing to finally be getting it off the ground. Mm -hmm. Good luck. And almost, we we, uh, hope, in time for the new law. (laughs) That's what I'm hoping. Exactly. (laughs) The new dual citizenship law. Yes, that very one that that we love talking about here on Germany in Focus. We may have mentioned it once or twice. Yes. Aaron, are you well? Absolutely. I am looking forward to a few holidays, actually. it's uh, My news isn't quite as big as Imogen's, um, but I'm headed to Leipzig quickly to visit a friend uh, over uh, Easter weekend for a day or so. And this is very on brand for me. A few friends of mine and I have finally got all of our logistics booked for our little trip to Rheinland-Pfalz and to a little wine weekend Love with it. some... With a big drive and some winery tours. Wow. Is that the Mosul Valley where they have the really good Riesling? No, actually, it's a bit different. It's down in the Fuzz. Ooh. So oh, okay. we're talking Baden-Württemberg or, well, close, not there. Lovely. But, oh, yeah. this is like your dream finally coming true, Ari. I know, <laughs> You're going yeah. on a wine tour of Germany. I know, and there will be lots of bottles brought back, so, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Looking yeah. forward to We might to bring one on, a, on, on the next podcast <laughs> after I get back. Definitely, and to celebrate Imogen's. Yes. So we're recording this on Wednesday, April the 4th. Let's start off by talking about some Easter traditions in Germany. 
Is Easter a big deal in Germany, Aaron? Is the Pope Catholic, Rach? Um, this time of year is huge for travel plans in Germany. Easter Monday is a holiday here, meaning that people get a four-day weekend, and that'll sometimes get stretched out into a week or even a two-week-long holiday for some people and families, depending on their situation. Schools are are off around this time. Yes, too. exactly. You've got depending on the state, you've got the Osterferien. There's plenty. Of festivities too, although perhaps not quite to the same scale as Christmas. But you will find Easter markets in Germany. Uh, the oldest one is in Nuremberg, so you can head there, but mostly for tableware and household products. In Berlin, for example, Potsdamer Platz also has one, and it will demonstrate some very intricate egg painting techniques that you will find in Brandenburg or Saxony. It's a whole thing in this country: egg painting. It's an art. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it actually. I think my favorite Easter tradition in Germany is the way that they decorate their balconies and trees with all the painted Easter eggs that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I think this is one of the times of year that Germany shows its really adorable side, that really cutesy side of the Germans, where they get super excited about making little decorations, eating little chocolate treats that are shaped like eggs and bunnies. Oh, I definitely recommend going for a walk in the forest in rural areas to see some of these decorations because they are adorable. But I actually have a fun fact for you guys um, about Easter. Um, It's actually that the Easter bunny, who we all know and love, has its roots in Germany. Not many people know that. So the Osterhase, which literally translates as Easter hare, um, has been associated with this time of year in Germany for centuries. As you probably know, our Easter traditions really come from pagan rituals, which mark the changing of seasons. And these were kind of absorbed into the Christian calendar to kind of ease the transition when countries were Christianized. So bunnies in particular really fit with this theme of kind of renewal, eternal life, because people used to believe that after birth, they basically stayed awake for their entire lives and they slept with their eyes open. There's also a theory that links this connection between hares and Easter back to medieval times. Back then, spring was kind of the time when farmers had to pay their dues to the landowners and because they just had loads of hares and eggs at this time of year, they would kind of gather those up and Mm -hmm. give them uh, to their sort of feudal lords. So this kind of created that connection between bunnies and eggs and, as we know, these are big symbols even to this day. It's a great trivia there. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm very um, good fun at parties. <laughs> German holiday trivia. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone have any other favorite German Easter traditions? I just like really eating chocolate. Yeah? Yeah. That's a good tradition. Like... You know, and I realize I can do that at any time, but I give myself more license at this time of year. It's different if it looks like a chick, I think, or a bunny. There's something special about that. Uh, but my favorite, which maybe is because I slightly miss Guy Fawkes Night in the UK, is the Easter bonfire tradition, which is exactly what it sounds like. People build a big fire, eat and drink loads, and uh, just sort of gather around in the night and have a big old party. This is another really pagan Easter tradition. It's all to do with lighting fires to banish winter and celebrate the start of spring. Whenever that comes. Yeah, we're still we're still waiting. I think maybe the fires will help. Let's hope that that will actually usher in a proper mm. spring in Germany. If they do, maybe I'll become a believer. 
We do have a few public holidays coming up, as Aaron mentioned. So many people will be heading out on the roads, trains, or flying somewhere for holidays or even day trips. But one big question that a lot of people will be wondering is, what's going on with these strikes? Because they have caused a lot of disruption recently, not least the travel problems with the mega strike that happened a few weeks ago. Imogen, should we prepare for strikes this Easter weekend? Yeah, I can imagine there were quite a few people, especially families with young children who were really dreading starting off their Easter holidays with endless delays and cancelled trains. Luckily, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So the Rail Services Union, EVG, um, who have been in their negotiations with Deutsche Bahn recently, uh, basically ruled out strikes over Easter. So that's good news for anyone taking a long-distance train. It means you'll only have to navigate the usual Deutsche Bahn delays and not strikes on top of that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Verdi, the, the big services union, um, has also been contributing to a bit of this travel chaos lately. They've been trying to negotiate this big pay rise for public sector workers, which includes kind of bus train drivers and tram drivers. So there have been a fair few local transport strikes recently, especially for the long-suffering residents of North Rhine-Westphalia. Verdi actually had their third round of negotiations in Potsdam last week, but they weren't able to reach an agreement uh, with the government. So they've officially announced that the talks have now failed. But luckily, they've agreed to hold off on strikes over Easter. So you can expect public transport to pretty much be functioning as normal. That seems kind of thoughtful of them to pause on the strikes during a time when they could really cause a lot of disruption. Why are they not doing the strikes? Yes, it's really kind of them, actually. Um, But in the case of Verdi, it's not all out of the kindness of their hearts. So after the third round of talks ended last week, the government basically initiated this process which is known as arbitration, which essentially means bringing in a third party to try and clean up this whole mess. So since the end of last week, the union has been sitting down with government negotiators and some third party kind of arbitrators to just try and thrash out a deal that they'll both be happy with. There are basically two chairs of the committee and their job is to put forward a deal to the unions and the government at the end of this kind of arbitration process, uh, which is all carried out in secret. The whole process is expected to last around two weeks. And during that time, there's basically an enforced armistice that means that Verdi isn't allowed to strike. In the case of the rail union, so AFLG, they seem to be a little bit more cautious about keeping the public on side. So aside from the mega strike last Monday, they haven't been super trigger happy about calling strikes. And when they announced their hiatus um, over Easter, they justified it by saying they wanted to target the employers instead of the passengers, which is pretty nice. Mm, Yeah, fair enough. So are we likely to see strikes after Easter? It is a real possibility, um, but it all depends on what happens with this arbitration committee over the next week or two. So if Ferdy doesn't like this deal uh, that the committee puts forward and they reject it, that paves the way for what's known as an enforcement strike. In case you're confused about all these different types of strikes, the difference between a warning strike and an enforcement strike is this. Warning strikes can take place during negotiations, while enforcement strikes can only take place afterwards. Unlike warning strikes, you also don't have to set an end date for enforcement strikes. So 
the strikes basically go on until one of the sides caves in. So the date to look at with this is probably April 14th, next Friday, when we may know more about whether this sort of unlimited strike could happen. On the Deutsche Bahn front, we could also see more warning strikes. Again, we just have to wait and see how the negotiations pan out. Good to know. So let's just go back to travel over the Easter weekend for a moment. Any other possible problems? Uh, yes. The oh, short right. answer is yes. Sorry. Um, if you're driving, expect delays due to construction and volume basically everywhere in the country, <laughs> I'm afraid. But there are some areas that are a bit uh, more or less affected than others. Uh, sorry to be the bearer of bad news to people in the lovely Rhein-Ruhr area around Düsseldorf, Münster, and Cologne. <laughs> you will be dealing with some of the worst both construction and volume delays anywhere in Germany. Bavaria too, particularly in and around Nuremberg. Northern Germany is looking to get off a little bit lighter here, according to traffic projections, with the notable exception of Hamburg, but still expect some delays just due to the sheer number of people who are traveling. As Imogen has been talking about just now, we uh, are not seeing strikes in Germany, at least until the end of Easter. That is not the case for other countries that you might be traveling through or to, uh, I'm afraid. You may want to give yourself extra time at the airport. If we look at France, we have an air traffic control strike. That means that if you have a flight into or out of either Bordeaux or Marseille, or actually uh, also London, London Heathrow's Terminal 5, and also pretty much any other, any major airport in Spain, be prepared for the possibility of cancellations this weekend. Oh, if you're flying over France, be prepared for the possibility that your flight might be diverted a little bit on a new flight path to avoid French airspace. France, too, is also experiencing a fuel shortage. So if you're driving through there, try and fill up if you see a gas station that has fuel, and just to be on the safe side. Really good info, guys. Thank you so much for those updates. As always, we'll add the stories to the show notes so you can find even more detailed information. Let's move on to some other stories now. It's been an interesting week for mayors in Germany. Let's start with Berlin. The city looks like it could get a conservative mayor. That's Kai Wegener from the Christian Democrats. And it comes after Berlin voted in a rerun election in February and the CDU came out on top. Now, we talked about this repeat vote in detail on a couple of previous episodes. The last one was aired on February 17th. So you can go back and listen to that if you like. Let's today focus on the significance of this for Berlin and the people living there. Aaron, so Berlin is getting a coalition with the Social Democrats and the CDU and a CDU mayor, possibly. Is this a big deal or a big change for the capital? Yeah, it certainly would be. Um, I mean, a, a 28 percent result for the CDU back at the time of the election, 10 points ahead of the nearest competitor, the Social Democrats, was already significant enough. If we actually do get a conservative mayor uh, from the CDU, Kai Wegna, it would be the first time that the city has had a non-Social Democrat mayor in over 20 years. The SPD has worked with the CDU before, 
from 2011 to 2016, but this time the roles would be reversed with the CDU in the more senior role. Now, both parties have to approve this agreement internally, uh, and for the SPD, that means a membership vote, the results of which we're expecting around April 21st. There's been quite a few voices within the Berlin SPD that have spoken up and said that they don't want this agreement, that they'd rather continue with the left-wing coalition of the Greens and the left party as well. Uh, so this isn't a done deal just yet. If it does happen, it would be quite a turn for the capital, for sure. Mm. And what could we expect from Kai Wegner as mayor? Well, if the deal goes through, let's talk about Kai Wegner a bit. He was a member of the Bundestag for the CDU for 16 years, between 2005 and 2021. And he represented the northwest district of Spandau and Charlottenburg. That is a very suburban seat in Berlin. And his campaigns uh, for the city certainly reflected that. He maintained a focus on the Außenbezirken, or the outer districts of Berlin, arguing that they're not well connected enough to public transport and they need to be prioritized more when it comes to plans to expand the U-Bahn lines the city has, for example. He also argued that many of the plans that the previous left-wing government had for car-free zones or more bikes and pedestrianization basically punished people living in these outer districts uh, who need their cars to get around because public transport transport uh, there just simply isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And Kai Wegner, he got into a bit of hot water recently, didn't he? He certainly did. He talked a lot about law and order during this campaign. And you might remember that New Year's Eve in Berlin uh, happened right in the middle of this campaign. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was Wegner and the Berlin CDU that controversially suggested that uh, looking at the first names of those arrested on New Year's Eve in Berlin would tell us what kind of groups were more likely to engage in criminal behavior. Uh, he came under a lot of flack for saying this, basically suggesting that attacks on Berlin police that night were an integration problem. And then it sparked a racism debate that we saw go around the country, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So what would a SPD-CDU coalition look like? So uh, in terms of actual policy, public services appear right at the top of this coalition agreement. This coalition wants to reduce the long two-month waits at the Bug by giving financial incentives to districts that digitize, for example, by making registration possible online. Uh, what a concept. <laughs> yeah, what a concept. Um, that we've talked about before. It also wants to up the language competence of people uh, in Berlin public service, whether they work at the Bogamt, whether they're on the police, etc. They specifically mention having more people who speak English, Turkish, Arabic, or Russian. What about the housing shortage? Because this is a major topic in Berlin. Well, expect this coalition to have a very big focus on house building as a way to solve Berlin's housing shortage, uh, with a target of 20,000 new homes a year and 5,000 of those need to be social housing. Now, this is a target that has been in place previously, but it seems like this coalition has a very specific way in which they want to implement it. And they want to pass a faster building law to make approvals much quicker. It wants homes on 
top of supermarkets, parking garages, even potentially 100% social housing projects on parts of Tempelhofefeld, a huge public park on the former airport. That's a quite controversial suggestion. But uh, even though the target has remained the same, Berlin has been behind this target quite consistently and by quite a lot in recent years. So they're basically trying a new strategy of going about it. For public transport, we're looking at big U-Bahn extensions, including one all the way to BER Airport, and the continuation of the 29 euro ticket for public transport inside uh, city limits. Mm, interesting. So a kind of rival to the 49 euro ticket, but only for Berlin. But, but Berlin only, exactly. Yeah. And does this all mean that Berlin is leaning more to the right in political attitude, do you think, Aaron? Because traditionally, it's been more to the left, at least in recent years. Well, on law and order, uh, certainly maybe we might see a bit of a rightward lean. Um, polls certainly indicate that more Berlin Berliners think it's time to get tougher on crime. New Year's Eve was a watershed uh, for many. But Berlin is ultimately still Berlin, and there's still a lot of wins for the SPD in the coalition agreement, specifically on diversity, that it's hard to imagine the CDU and other parts of the country being willing to agree to. If we look at Kai Wegner himself, even, um, unusually for the national CDU, he was one of the approximately one-third of CDU MPs who voted in favor of marriage equality in 2017. So there are certainly left-wing politicians who aren't so enamored with his tough-on-crime approach or his views on integration. But we've also even seen some conservative newspaper editorials already mention how often the word queer appears in this coalition agreement. One counted 32 times. So there is a focus in the agreement on Berlin remaining a rainbow feminist haven of sorts. And this at least seems to have gotten no objections from the Berlin CDU, who seem to be much more relaxed um, here, at least, than uh, many CDU members in the rest of the country might be. Okay, that will be a really interesting story to watch then. Let's move on to the other side of the country now. The village of Ostelsheim has elected a new mayor. This is a little village in Baden-Württemberg. And the mayor's name is Rian Alshelbel. He's 29 years old and he came to Germany in 2015 as a refugee from Syria. Imogen, is this the first time that a Syrian refugee who came to Germany during the crisis around 2015 has been elected as a mayor in Germany? It certainly looks that way. And this story is just an incredible example of how the people who arrived from a war-torn country less than 10 years ago are really fitting into the fabric of German society these days. Mm -hmm. um, what's amazing about this story is that it wasn't in Berlin or Dusseldorf or Frankfurt or any of those particularly multicultural places that this happened. It was in a tiny village in Baden-Württemberg with just 2,500 residents and an area that generally leans pretty conservative. So the stereotype would be that these rural areas are a little more closed-minded when it comes to immigrants and refugees. But Als Helbel actually said he'd had an overwhelmingly positive uh, experience when he was campaigning for this position. He does seem to realise what a big deal this is, though. After he got 
elected, he said Ostelsheim had set an example of tolerance and cosmopolitanism for the whole of Germany. Really nice story. And he won a majority of the vote. What made him so popular, do you think? Yeah, it was a really astounding win in the end. He came away with around 55% of the total vote. There seems to be quite a few reasons behind this, uh, but one is that he really seems to have made an effort to get out in the community, knock on doors, meet people and really, really hear their concerns. Um, And he also just seems to be a pretty likeable and affable character. So Boris Palmer, who is another very high-profile mayor in Baden-Württemberg, described him as hardworking. And that definitely seems to be the case. Uh, Journalists who were following him on his campaign trail saw him visit hundreds of houses each week. And it seems like he's just become this known and liked figure in his local community. On a less personal level, I think his policies were also just really popular. Uh, One of the things that he pledged to do uh, was to bring back uh, full daycare in kitas and kindergartens in the local area, which apparently hasn't been offered since the pandemic. He also wanted to spruce up the infrastructure in the area and create a new lively town centre. I'd say he was also quite clever on a tactical front. Alcibel is a member of the Green Party privately, but he stood as an independent. So people were probably more focused on his policies rather than this kind of party tribalism that can often come up in these elections. Alcibel also says he came from a politically active household and he's been working in local administration pretty much since he arrived in Germany, so about seven years, which makes him quite an experienced candidate as well. Yeah, and he's already so young. He's only 29. I know. It makes me feel a bit bad about <laughs> but, but congrats. we've achieved. Yeah, well, I'm speaking for myself. Uh, you guys are, are high flyers. <laughs> yeah, no, well done to him. Well done, yeah. And, and what's been the reaction to this story? Uh, well, this has been really, really big news for such a tiny little village. It's been all over German media in recent days. Uh, it's even been picked up by international news outlets like The Guardian and Reuters. He's been congratulated as well by some big political grandees in Germany, um, particularly on the centre-left of politics. So Katrine göring Eckhardt, uh, who's the vice president of the Greens Parliamentary Party, wrote quite an emotional tweet in response to this uh, sort of news. And she said, stories like his give courage to so many people who come to us and make our democracy lively and diverse. What is maybe also quite noticeable is the radio silence from the media outlets and politicians who fall into that migrant sceptic bracket of German society. Mm-hmm. could be that they're not too keen to draw attention to this example of a refugee who happens to also be a dual national, becoming a really right. adored figure in his local community and working to better a community that he's also grown to love. Yeah. Right, and because refugees uh, in Germany, when they, even under the existing law, are allowed to keep their original citizenship under the current nationality law. So, yes, you have an example of a very successfully well-integrated uh, dual national here. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. A really prominent example of what can happen if you let people integrate, if you let people become German and give them the tools to actually make a difference. Really good points there. Thank you so much to you both. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The German government last week signed off on a huge shakeup of immigration laws designed to make it easier for skilled workers from non-EU countries to come and live and work in Germany. So the next step is for this draft legislation to go to the Bundestag to be debated and voted on. And what we're going to focus on today is the points system, which will be used for a new job seekers visa in future. Now we have a bit more information on how it would likely work. Of course, there could be some changes because it's not set in stone yet, but we'll talk about the draft as we know it right now. Aaron, what is a point system and why do we need to understand it? Well, Rach, uh, countries like Canada and Austria already award points to prospective immigrants based on certain criteria. If you have enough points, you can qualify for a work visa. Now, you can get these points for anything from educational qualifications that you might have, work experience in a skilled profession, language skills is another one where you can get points. In Austria, for example, you can get points for proficiency in either or both both German and English. Points basically help attract skilled workers by making it easier for them to get a visa. And Germany is now considering its own point system. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And what's worth mentioning, though, is in kind of contrast to Canada, whose whole system is based on kind of accruing points. Here, we've got kind of an add-on to an existing system. So it's not that you'll no longer have your working visa or your student visa or anything like that. We'll still have those residence permits, which are the core of the immigration policy. We'll just have a kind of alternative route, which is points-based, um, which is what Germany's looking at right now. A bit of a hybrid system. Mm-hmm. So before we go on, let's hear from Jan Dannenbring. He is the head of the Department of Labour Law at the German Confederation. Federation of Skilled Crafts, or ZDHA, which represents a million small and medium-sized skilled trades businesses in Germany, covering industries like construction. I asked him for his take on the law changes and the points system. The law uh, that now is being discussed or has been proposed uh, by the uh, German government is a good one. It provides for many new possibilities to, to come uh, to the German labor market. Especially, it simplifies, for example, the, the recognition of foreign diplomas. It, for the first time, offers a opening for uh, foreign uh, workers who uh, just have professional experience, uh, which do not need to go through this recognition process of diplomas, but who only need to prove that they have two years of professional experience in, in a certain field and have a, a two-year training in this field. And then they could uh, come to Germany if, if they find an employer uh, here in Germany uh, who wants to employ them. So that is really a big uh, opening. It's a change of mind, uh, more or less, uh, in the German migration law. The German government uh, is doing what it can uh, to, to make it more attractive for foreign workers uh, to come to Germany. But the big but 
uh, is uh, really the administration. If the administration doesn't work as good as it should, then uh, many foreign workers will just not seize these uh, opportunities, but will rather go still to, to other possible countries. Mm -hmm. And do you think that the planned point system that the government is talking about is fair and will that help attract more people? Well, um, it, it's, it's an interesting feature of the new migration law, but I have doubts if it will make the migration law much more attractive than it is at the moment, because we all know this point system is inspired by Canada and other countries, which have their whole migration policy based on this point system. But in Germany, we have a totally different structure of our migration law. It is based on certain specified resident permits and for certain categories of migrants, for trainees, for specialists, for people who want to seek a recognition of their diplomas and so on. So this introduction of this point system is, I think, artificial to our migration law and will put an additional burden on the administration to see it through because that's quite difficult to give the points and how many points do you give for which qualification, for which language knowledge, which age and so on. And so I really have doubts, as you can see, that this new system will work so, so well. I don't think that it will lead to much more migration as it is. So a few reservations there about how the law would actually work in reality. What do you both think? Well, I think that it's one thing to change the law, obviously, but then uh, you'll also still potentially run into uh, the <laughs> various uh, trappings of the German la labor market, even if you can get a visa. And we have had a previous episode here on this podcast before where we interviewed Chris Payak, German jobs expert, about how you should get around HR <laughs> when you're looking for a job here in Germany, especially when there's a certain ticking the box exercise or a job that really doesn't necessarily need German language skills. Um, you know, it's still only people who can speak very, very fluent German who end up getting it. He does have some tips and tricks for how to navigate that. So you can listen to that episode if you're curious. But I still think that could still remain a problem, even if the visa changes. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I don't think it really tackles the complexity issues, um, which are so off-putting to so many people navigating the bureaucracy and there has been a lot of criticism that this points-based system actually makes things a bit more complicated. That said, in my opinion, I think it is quite a good idea to have this alternative route for people who don't automatically fit into one of those boxes. You know, they don't have a neat job offer, they don't necessarily have a place to study, but they've got potential. And, and this route to have promising people move to the country without necessarily having everything set in stone, I think could be quite positive for young people in particular. We'll hear from a Green member of German Parliament very soon. But first, let's explore the point system in a bit more detail. So Imogen, how many points would non-EU nationals need to get this Chancen Karte or Opportunity Card, the visa we're talking about? 
Well, if you're kind of like me, terrified of the idea of kind of going back to school and being graded, don't worry. It's not like a repeat of your school maths exams. There are around 14 points up for grabs in total, and you'll just need to get six or above in order to qualify. That said, before you can even start earning these points, there are a few little hurdles that you need to clear. So the first is that you need proof that you can support yourself financially. Obviously, if you don't have a job offer yet, you'll need to have some money to live on. Then you'll need some language skills. So either B1 German or C1 English. So don't worry if your German skills aren't up to scratch. C1 English would work instead. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that you need is some sort of professional qualification that requires at least two years of study. And what are the things that will get you points and how many points? We can kind of split them into about four different categories. Age, language skills, qualifications and experience. connections to Germany. So the biggest way to score points is to have qualifications and experience in your chosen field. In fact, you can net a full four points for a professional qualification and an extra three if you've worked for at least three years in a related field after finishing your studies. If you haven't got quite quite got that experience yet, you can pick up some points in other ways. So we've mentioned that you don't actually need German to start accruing points but if you do have some German that can really help you so B1 level uh, would be about two points and if it's even better than that B2 or C1 we're expecting that you can get three whole points for that Mm -hmm. Uh, the other category is age you can get up to two points if you're under the age of 35 or one if you're between the age of 35 and 40 And the final way to get some extra points is to either have lived in Germany for six months or more in the last five years or to get a long-term residence of Germany to sponsor you. What this involves is basically writing a letter saying, look, I live here and I'll help this person with their job search. There's one point up for grabs for each of these. So language is quite an important aspect in this. Uh, Yes, it is. The German government wants to reward people who can speak German, but also understands that it's a language language that people can also best learn while they're already here, and that many companies now conduct business in English, so you can get points for English knowledge. You can't really be a beginner in either one to get points, though. You need to be, uh, as Imogen was saying, B1 level for German points, C1 level for English points, and also note how this is basically an either-or. You don't get points, sorry, for both German and English, we think, uh, the same way as you might in Austria, which is next door, and certainly a country that um, is competing with Germany for the same uh, skilled workers. If you look at Austria, uh, you can get points independently for both, and the threshold is a bit less, even uh, in some cases, even uh, A1 or A2 uh, proficiency in one of the two languages will actually get you some points, and the threshold is a lot higher here. So they are putting a lot of focus on language, but there's also that competitive pressure, which could be an issue. Let's hear now from Ms. Bakan. She is from from the Green Party and a member of the German Bundestag with a constituency in Rhineland-Palatinate. She's part of the team working on the immigration reforms. I asked Misba why the coalition wants to push through a point system in Germany as part of the law changes. Germany is really, really unattractive for people who want to come to look for a job. So this is something we want to tackle. We want to have a transparent point system to give the opportunity to come to Germany and look for work. Other immigration countries such as Canada or New Zealand already have that practice installed. It's a good experience they have with that. So why not try that? It's a proven practice. 
and to be more visible and more attractive and show that you're interested in people coming. And do you think it's also an incentive for people to learn German or think about learning German? Because I noticed you can get more points if your German is better. Yeah, it is a plus if you speak German or if you want to speak German to come and look for a job. But I think it's more important to not have that as a requirement because the modern world might not need somebody who speaks German. It might be more helpful if somebody speaks English. So as long as it's fine to come and work if your English is good or your German is not perfect, the point system works. Really good to know. So some immigration offices, especially in the larger cities, are already struggling with processing appointments. We hear a lot from our readers and listeners and even from businesses that bureaucracy is a problem in Germany. What do you think needs to happen for them to cope with potentially a lot more people coming and trying to get visas and appointments? Yeah, well, the workload of um, migration authorities is really, really high in Germany. On one hand, we need to ensure that the migration authorities have good enough resources, then the resources they need. So we need to provide for financial resources, but also for the necessary personnel. On the other hand, the current procedures are really, really inefficient. So uh, many bur- democratic steps can be optimized and have to be improved. So this is where I see the greatest potential to reduce the workload in these migration authorities. This is something we will tackle as well. Let's finish off by talking about some cool things happening across Germany in April. It is getting into folk festival season, right? At long last. (laughs) Um, There's honestly (laughs) loads of them happening, um, including two big festivals in Munich and Frankfurt. But my pick for this month has to be the Stuttgart Spring Festival, uh, which kicks off on April 22nd and runs until May 14th. So this is a huge agricultural festival. It's around two centuries old. And every year these days, it attracts about 1.2 million visitors, making it the largest spring festival in Europe. Basically, you can see lots of cute farm animals. You can see horse races. There are tons of stools with local produce and my personal favourite, fruit brandies. So I personally grew up in a quite an agricultural area in Somerset um, in the southwest of England. So I love a good farm festival. I have fond memories of the <laughs> pig pavilion in Llama Land at the Bath and West show. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what yeah. Stuttgart has to offer. Get yourself to that Frulings Fest. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All the way down there. Um that, yeah, well, I'm actually going a bit on the opposite end of the spectrum here. <laughs> I've actually become a bit of an opera fan in recent years. And the Berlin Staatsoper is currently running its festival days from now until Sunday. Uh, the Staatsoper is a beautiful building with classic architecture, uh, much better, in my opinion, than the Deutsche Oper, which has more modern architecture. Mm. I know, fighting <laughs> words there. This festival runs every year at this time, and you can take in a few different shows, some for as little as 20 euros. Uh, that's quite a bargain, given what uh, opera tickets even here can sometimes be. This year's focus is Wagner, the quintessential German opera, really. Sounds really good. Really nice tips. So... 
I don't have anything too specific to recommend <laughs> this month, but I would say check out the cherry blossoms and the tree blossom festivals that are happening all throughout spring. They are kind of all over the country. There's a few in like kind of streets in Berlin, like along the Mauerweg, along where the wall was, you find the beautiful cherry blossoms. And yes, there's also a festival, the Britzer Baumblüte, which is a tree blossom festival that's in Britz, which is in Neukölln in Berlin, but just on the outside the ring. It sounds very cute. I think we should go. It sounds lovely. <laughs> Are you going to be adding some of those classic Instagram photographs to your to your social media accounts? Richard. Yes, I will be an influencer. Excellent. And yeah, and this, this festival lasts until April 16th, just so you know, guys. So a bit of time after Easter to check it out too. Yeah. For sure. For those Berliners who went on holidays to other bits of the country. <laughs> yeah, but there's also trees all over the country just to... Yes, exactly. <laughs> just to add on. <laughs> exactly. That brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you to all our listeners. And as always, we will add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about so you can read them there. Thank you to this week's panelists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.